series called The Vow. Before we jump into the next part of this series, it was great having our high school, middle school students with us last week. But this week, students, you are dismissed to your class. First time for many of you in your new youth space, so go enjoy that. If you're an older high school student and want to hang out, we are talking about something important today when it comes to relationships. And maybe that's something you want to hear as well. So you can kind of choose which way you want to go. Just as a heads up to parents, um, we, uh, we really take the security and safety of your kids and our youth really importantly. And so uh, pretty soon you're going to notice we're going to be restricting uh, access down this hallway to where our preschool, elementary, and youth are to basically parents of children um, and or the youth that are going that way or staff that are going to the kitchen to get supplies that we need. So we just want to kind of let you know if, if you meet somebody at that entrance and they're saying, hey, you know, this is kind of restricted. It's not because we don't want you to travel around and see what's going on. It's because we are trying, especially during the church times, to keep that wing secure. And uh, I hope you understand as parents the importance of keeping your children secure, right? So we want to do that just as a safety measure. So just see that and just know it's coming up. Speaking of safety and security, how many know that our marriages need some of that, right? They do. So last week, we talked about the vow of priority, the vow of priority, that oftentimes the troubles that we have in our marriage is because priorities are out of order. And so we learned last week that God is our one and our spouse is our two. We talk about, I'm looking for the right one. No, you're not. You're looking for the right Two, because God needs to be the one that in our marriages we're honoring first and seeking first above all. And when we do that, we will honor our two as we should. And so we, we talked about how we are going to get those priorities in the right place. And when we do, it will bring strength and healing and health to our marriages. Uh, we're going to talk about the vow of pursuit today. It's going to get kind of fun in here. The vow of pursuit. Uh, and then in the future weeks coming, we're going to talk about the vows of partnership. How is a marriage? It's not just a contract. You don't have just a piece of paper. You have a covenant before God and what that means and then how we live that partnership out as the Bible talks about, especially in Paul's instruction to us and concerning marriages. Then we're going to end this series with the vow of purity. The vow of purity. The number one thing that is killing marriages today is a lack of purity. And so we're going to talk about why it's important. Where any place in our marriage we're keeping secrecy, intimacy dies. All right, so we need to talk about exposing those secret matters and living lives of purity within our marriage. And so that's going to be how we're going to end this series up, and I'm excited about jumping into that. Today, we're going to talk about the vow of pursuit. Now, just out of curiosity, as we kick this off, how many of you did something, maybe even on the border of foolish, all for the sake of love. Anybody ever did that before? Maybe you did something that was so out of the ordinary, oddball, that people looked at you and said, you did what? And you said, yeah, I was so in love with her, or I was so in love with him that I did that, whatever that, that might have been. Maybe it was a very public, um, you know, time of asking her to to marry you, and it was kind of almost bordering embarrassing, but for you it was like, I'm going to do whatever, I'll be a fool because I love this woman or I love this man. Oftentimes we've done that. Why? Because we're pursuing somebody. We're pursuing somebody. And as humans, by nature, we pursue what we don't have. Isn't that true? By nature, we pursue what we don't have. It's part of that sense of hunting and, and gathering. We pursue what we don't have. And so we don't have money, what do we do? We pursue means to get money. We don't have an education, so what did many of you do? You pursued an education. You want that love and that partner in your life. What did you do? You pursued that relationship. Because by nature, we pursue the things that we don't have. 
So what happens then, years later, when that person you pursued and then you married, you wake up one morning and you just have that sense that I've lost that love and feeling, as the Righteous Brothers used to sing, right? You don't close your eyes anymore. I'll spare you the rest, but you get the idea. You just kind of wake up one morning and go, what happened? You know, where's the, where's the passion we once had in our relationship? Where's the intimacy? Now, if you're single, just bear with me here, okay? Because there's some stuff you can take with you to apply to a relationship in the future. But just hang with me here, all right? Married couples, you know what I'm talking about. You wake up and it's like, what happened? Where's the adventure? Somewhere along the line, let me tell you what happened. Priorities got out of order. So if you didn't listen to last week's message, you weren't here, you got to start there. But somewhere, priorities got out of order, and you stopped pursuing one another. Because at the heart of every healthy marriage is a deep sense of belonging, of connectedness, of, of feeling appreciated, loved, and respected. We call that, in one word, we call that intimacy. There's the sense that we need from our spouse, the sense of connectedness, the sense of intimacy, and it was that belief that you would find this intimacy in a partner that led you to pursuing each other, and then you got married because of that commitment of intimacy, and what you thought is that certainly getting married will deepen our intimacy, but too many couples, just on the other side of their marriage vows, woke up finding that sense of, where'd that spark go? Sometimes it's even just a matter of a few weeks. For some, it's maybe years, but there, you come to a point where it's like, what happened? I thought marriage would certainly deepen our intimacy, but now what's going on? Intimacy has the potential of being compromised by other issues of life. And you've, you've, you've felt it. Many of you got married when you were too young to get married. I know for, for, we tell our kids you cannot marry when you're your mother's age when she was, when she got married. All right, that's just too young. I won't tell you how young she was, but I wasn't quite robbing the cradle at least. But we were young. And we had our careers and our kids in front of us. And how many know that when all you got is each other and young love, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to pursue each other. But then pretty soon you have other pursuits that begin to fight for your attention. Careers kids, all of a sudden it's like, who are you and why are you robbing intimacy from my, our relationship, right? You begin to pursue other things in life. It just happens. And when that happens, it compromises the sense of intimacy you have in your marriage. Why? Because we are designed or wired to pursue intimacy. And if we're not getting that in home, then we're going to pursue that sense of connectedness, belonging, respect, value in other areas. That might be your career and you throw yourself headlong into your job. Or it might be in the pursuit of your hobbies or your recreation. So you throw yourself entirely into that because we do are hardwired to pursue a sense of feeling connected and feeling important. The problem is oftentimes those pursuits of intimacy lead us to inappropriate expressions of that, either digitally or with another person. Why? Because we're looking and we're hardwired for that sense of intimacy. When it's not happening at home, we tend to look for that in other ways. And many, many marriages have died on the crashing waves of that kind of pursuit, pursuing other things that have become, unfortunately, more important. Priorities got shifted. And what couples fail to embrace and understand is, is basically this. Marriage is hard work. If you're looking to get married, let me just tell you right now, it's hard 
work. It may not feel like it right now because you're just, I'm not going to, well, maybe I shouldn't use that word. You're just young and in love. I was going to say dumb and in love, but you know, the truth is you're just young and in love. And there's a, a beautiful naivety that comes with that, isn't there? You guys remember those days when you were naive and it was just like, oh, I'm just so giddy. And it's, everything's going to be beautiful. And I, 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 I valued that season, but you guys got to know it's hard work. It is hard work working on your marriage. Why? Because intimacy must be nurtured. Intimacy is not static. Okay, it, it, it has to be nurtured. And is there any other area in your life, by the way, where you can be lazy and see improvement? Think about this as it applies to your bodies. Many of you just a month ago, remember? Just a month ago, you said, I'm going to live healthier this year. I'm going to get up. I'm going to exercise every day. I'm going to eat better. And that lasted about a day, and then the next day came, and, and then you kind of started giving on that, and you somehow exchanged the idea that laziness will actually improve my body. And so you just sit on the couch and, and eat all your favorite desserts and all your favorite snacks, and you wonder why the couch seems smaller than it was just yesterday, because you're filling up more of it. Why? Because laziness physically does not equal the health you're looking for physically. We can apply the same thing to your business. Many of you are taking a stab at a business, and so you recognize you got to work hard, that laziness won't equal a successful business plan. Many of you discover the same with education. I'm just going to sit in my dorm and do nothing and expect somehow I'm just automatically going to get A's. And when it comes to your own home, many of you know you can't just sit and watch the grass grow and have the same yard your neighbor has. You see him out there every day with his scissors, edging his yard or whatever it is that he or she is doing. And they have the neighborhood's most awarded yard because they worked at it. And you're wondering, as you sit and watch the grass grow, why it's not you getting awarded for this great yard. It's because laziness is not rewarded. And speaking, when it comes to marriage, speaking of yards, I, I heard it once said, and I think it's a great idea, if the grass looks greener on the other side, water your own yard. Okay? If you think some other relationship is going to be better, water your own yard. Because the grass, how many know? Because you bought this lie and it bit you. The grass is not greener on the other side. But we buy into that lie. What do we need to do? Water our own. So today's vow, today's vow, I promise to always pursue my two. I always promise to pursue my two. This is an, a very important thing, men especially, for us to listen to today. I promise to always pursue my two. I want you to open your Bibles and, and go to Genesis chapter 2. While you go, remember, God is our one, and we see that clearly in Genesis chapter 1. God is the one. God spoke, and into existence came everything that we see. And I love Genesis chapter 1 because it outlines all of creation, including the creation of man. Then you move to Genesis chapter 2, and you see the prominence God has placed on marriages. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 2, we see God saying, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. And so a helpmate is made, Eve. And in that context of this relationship between man and woman, Adam and Eve, he says this in verse 24. It's in the Bible or on the screen for you as well. But he says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The English Standard Version says it this way, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. For those of you who got married years back when maybe it was the King James Version that was used at your, at, your, at your wedding, it would go something like this. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. Cleave is an interesting word. I looked it up in the dictionary. You know what I discovered about this word cleave? It has two opposing definitions. Definition number one is to separate. How many of you know that somewhere in your knife drawer you have a thing called a cleaver? And what is the purpose of that cleaver? To bring things together? No, it is to separate things. And so you whack it with a cleaver, and it's separating, and it's separating, separating. And when you stood before that minister and you promised to leave your mother and father and cleave to your wife, it wasn't this idea of being separated from each other, okay? It was this idea of being united. And that is the other definition of cleave. I thought this was so interesting. You would have cleave to mean to separate, but cleave also means to join together or to hold fast. In fact, the way it's used in the Hebrew language, there's many definitions for this one word. It means to cling and to adhere, to catch by pursuit. That was your dating period, right? To catch by pursuit or to pursue hard with affection and devotion, to pursue with great energy and to cling to something zealously. So all of these words, when you put them together, what God is saying when, he, when a man was to leave his mother and father and be united or cleave or hold fast to his wife, he was commanding man to zealously pursue her and to energetically cling to her, not on that wedding day, but for the rest of their lives, till death do us part. And a, and a great illustration of that is found in Genesis chapter 29. And, and in Genesis 29, we, we see the story of Jacob and Rachel. Now, Jacob, as you guys remember the story, um, Isaac's son, Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, uh, by uh, deception, uh, stole the uh, blessing of the firstborn from Esau. That didn't go well. Esau was threatening to kill him, and so Jacob flees. And he goes to mommy's hometown. He goes to live with his uncle Laban. And while he is in uh, this hometown of his, of his mom, he sees Rachel. She's a shepherdess. Uh, she's very attractive to him. And so he begins to work for his uncle Laban. And his uncle says, you know, it's, it's, not, it, it's not right for you to work for, for nothing. Let me pay you something. What, name the price. Well, what is it I should pay you as you work for me? And Jacob asked for Rachel, for Rachel's hand in marriage. And so they came to an agreement that with seven years of labor, he would be able to marry Rachel. Now, men, some of you think about that right now and go, I could never do that. I mean, like you, you were dating one week, engaged week number two, married week number three. For you to think about seven years of working for this woman. You know what it said in the Bible? And I love the way it was written in Genesis 29. It said this, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven or years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. He said this, it seemed like only a few days because he was so in love. And all the women did that. I knew you were going to do that. Aw. Why? Because he was pursuing her. And there's something in women that that just rises up inside your heart and goes, oh, that's so cute. That's a wonderful story. That's why you love the chick flicks. It's all about a guy pursuing 
a woman. And so he worked seven years. Wedding night came. The bride is standing in front of him. They go through all the vows. He takes her into the tent, and it's Leah. Now, Leah is the sister of Rachel. The Bible describes the two sisters very specifically. It says that Leah, who was the older sister, has weak eyes. That's another way of saying she has a good personality, if you know what I'm saying, right? You know, she's maybe not a whole lot to look at. She has weak eyes. Or maybe, maybe the fact is she couldn't see very well, and she wore, you know, bottle-bottom thick glasses. And I don't know. They didn't have glasses back then. But it said she had weak eyes. How would you like to have your name in Scripture attached to she had weak eyes? That, I mean, that's, none of us want to be that woman, but that's who he married, and the dad said, look, it's not in our custom, it's not right for the, for the younger daughter to get married before the older daughter. But he said, here's the deal. If you work for me for seven more years, then you can have Rachel. So think about this, guys. Not just seven years, which to us would have been an eternity, right? Fourteen years. But here's the deal. He actually gets Rachel the next day. Okay, so he works the seven years. That night gets Leah. The next day he gets Rachel, but he commits to working seven more years for Rachel. 14 years total. And here's what I love about the imagery of this story. Jacob worked for Rachel after he already had her. You got that? He, he worked seven years to get her, and Laban was a bit of a trickster, and so he gives the wrong daughter first, and then he has to work another seven years for Rachel. But you know what he did? He didn't work one day, pack his bags, take Rachel and leave. He worked for her even though he already had her. And men, there's something right there just for us to listen to. In so many ways, that is what I believe God wants for us to do in marriage. God wants us to continue to work for our number two after we already have them. And that's our vow. I will pursue the two even after I already have them. Because from the very beginning, God has known the secret of the staying power of marriage. And it was this, work. You got to work. You got to pursue. In fact, marriage only works when we work at it. Okay? Marriage only works when we pursue, when we work at the marriage. And whether or not we actually express it, most of us believe that if we married the right person, if we married the one, like we talked about last week, right? if we married the right one, we shouldn't have to work at all because there's plenty of love in that relationship. And that might carry you up to the wedding day and the ceremonies and your honeymoon, but eventually, how many know, that's not going to work. It takes work in your relationship, pursuing one another. And to help you understand where many marriages break down, think back to the first date with your spouse. Think back to that first date. How hard did you work at impressing your date? Some of you girls, you spent more than normal time in front of the mirror. That might have meant five hours instead of four. I don't know. You spent more time. Why? Because you wanted to make sure your appearance was just right for this guy because you wanted to impress him. Guys, you might have put on another stroke of deodorant um, and maybe a mint. You know, I know we're pretty simple. Uh, but you might have put on your favorite pair of jeans and your favorite shirt. But when it comes to this process of pursuing each other through dating, what did you do? You made plans. You set a location. You got very intentional about it. You took care of yourself. You made sure your appearance was right. And then you were careful about how you talked to each other. 
You said kind things, and, and you were just wanting to make sure you didn't say anything wrong because you just wanted so to impress this other person. And so you worked hard at impressing them. And if, by the way, if you're dating someone right now, and they're not working hard to pursue you right now, that should be a warning for you, okay? If you're dating somebody, they're doing nothing to pursue in this relationship, I, I would caution strongly what that means. Because after marriage, guess what? It's not going to get better, generally, okay? So if they're not pursuing now, you're worth pursuing, ladies. And if they're not pursuing you now, that's a big question mark. If that guy's too lazy, won't get off his game, won't dress up, won't look nice to be with you, won't do things that every young man should do in, in dating a woman, then you need to make a note of that right now and say, mm, I need to be very aware of where this is going. Because marriage doesn't make it necessarily better. And all married couples said, amen to that, right? We love marriage, but we know it has, it, it, it's, it's beautiful and messy all at the same time. Because it's not just chemistry, you guys know, that brought you together. It was that sense of adventure of pursuing each other. It was part of the chase, part of the dance that was so intriguing to you. And then what happens? You work hard at securing that person's love. So you're married and you feel like you've owned their love and it's secure. And then what do you do? You take it for granted. Because once you have it, you take it for granted. And you don't pursue it anymore. Primarily, I'm talking to men in the house. I know because I'm one and I can talk from my perspective. I know that men, once we cross that marriage line, we think we have got it. And it's done. And we've pursued, and now it's just time to sit and enjoy. No, it's not. The pursuit continues because she still needs that. And men, you still need that as well. Why? Because we have good intentions. We have good intentions for our relationships. We look toward getting married. In fact, many of you maybe have good intentions right now for your spouse. But here's the problem. There's a gap between your good intentions and your actions. So how do we close that gap? That's what I want to talk about as we wrap up this message today. There are three things that we can do that will help close this gap between your intentions and your actions. I love, it. I love the way that Jim Burns, in his book called Creating an Intimate Marriage, said it. He said this, basically, we must suffer one of two pains in our marriage, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret, right? The pain of discipline, working hard at it, making your intentions act, or the pain of regret. I don't know about you. I'd rather have the pain of discipline at work in my marriage. If I'm going to suffer a pain, I'd rather it be discipline, working hard at my marriage, than a regret. So here's the first thing. When you think of something good, say it. Okay? This is, I'm talking a lot right now to the men. When you think of something good, say it. How many of you men know you thought of something good to say to your spouse, but you didn't say it? Because you were maybe a little too embarrassed. It's kind of mushy. Or maybe something else just came up and it's like a squirrel. You know, something else came up and you didn't, you didn't act on what you felt. And so you didn't say it. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to loosely apply this to marriage. But listen to it. Encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today. Okay, man? This is like now. Encourage other day while it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. How many know that over time your marriage and your heart has become hardened because you've not taken the time to encourage, to say the thing you thought of that you knew you should have said, but instead you said something stupid? 
or you said something hurtful. So when you think of something good, say it. And men, here's the deal. Pursue her with words of affection. Pursue her with words of affection. And here's the deal. Please listen. Non-sexual affection. You're pursuing her just to tell her to be affectionate toward her, not so you get something in return. Because men, I'm just going to say it honestly, we can make everything sexual, and it doesn't have to be that way. Say something nice to her with no strings attached. That's affection. I love you because. Men, we can maybe put the words together, I love you. Some of you may not have said that since your marriage, but you could say, I love you. That's awesome, but then do it this way. I love you because. What does that do? That makes you think about why you love her. And what does that do to her? Oh, he's pursuing me. And then you'd really surprise her when it's not like bedtime, okay? And you're pursuing her in the morning, and you're saying something nice to her in the morning. That's pursuit. That's important. She needs that. And then women, I want to speak to you for a second. Pursue him with words of affirmation. Ladies, he is becoming what you see in him. He is becoming what you see in him. Even though a man now leaves his mother and father and is united to you, guess who he is still looking to? to speak value into his life. It's you. And if all you do is speak negatively to him, you don't, and all you're doing is telling him what he's not, then guess what he's going to be? What he's not. Right? But when you begin to speak what you see in him, and you call that out in him, let me tell you what happens as men. As we're younger, we're looking to our dads to do that. We're looking to our dads to call us out to speak into our lives, to affirm us, and to call the man out of us. But then when we get married, we're looking for our woman, our wife, to call those things out of us, not call us down. You don't like where he's leading spiritually? Then don't nag on him about that. Call that out of him. When he prayed for dinner and it was like, yub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, then you tell him, oh, honey, that was the most inspiring prayer. You just call it out of him. Why? Because I'm telling you, a man will step up to the expectations that are put before him. But all you're doing is talking him down, he'll step down to the expectations. So affirm. Men, speak affectionate to your women. So men, she wants to know, do you love me today? Not did you love me 25 years ago. Do you love me today? And women, he wants to know, do you believe in me today? Do you believe in me? Because a lot of men are still looking for that. And they're not probably getting it at work. And here's the thing, ladies. If they're not getting that from you, some other person will believe in them and begin to bait them. And the pursuit will be on. Why? Because we will pursue what we don't have. So pursue your husband. Husbands, pursue your wife. When you think of something to say, say it. Second thing, when you think of something special, do it. When you think of something special, do it. I know some of you men, you have planned a wonderful night for your wife, and it's never happened yet. So when you think of something special, do it. And here's the deal. It doesn't just have to be a special event. Some of you, you can be special every day, men. There are things you can do around the house that would be considered by your spouse special. Let me just put it to you this way. Sometimes, men, there's nothing more romantic to a woman than to see you change a kid's diaper or to clean up puke. 
unless it's your own, or, or to see you do the dishes. And, and women, same thing applies. There's some special things you can do every day. When you think of something special, do it. And then obviously, find what is important to your spouse and then pursue that. Do that together. That means a weekend away. Trisha and I try to do at least one weekend away alone in our, in our trailer. We'd like to get away from the kids. And some of you young couples, you've never done that yet. Your kids are always around with you. So do something special. In fact, James 4.17 tells us this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. Now, I know, again, I'm loosely applying this to marriage, okay? There's a proper context for this verse, but I want to borrow the concept for a moment and talk about this. When you know there's something you should do and you're not doing it, it's going to hurt your marriage. So why not pull the trigger and do it? When you think of something special, do it. In fact, Romans 12.10 tells us this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Yeah, but I don't feel, okay, you're not going to feel it. But honor above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That would be easily applicable to our relationships. Having this willingness to give and this willingness to sacrifice, that is true love. And it will build the intimacy in your marriage. And then when you think of something different, or you want something different, I should say, then be it. If you want something different in your marriage, then you be that something different. You be the difference. Because what I often hear, at least in my office, and then obviously we've played it out in, in my household as well, if she would only, or if he would only, this marriage would be so much better. And so we have this tendency to be really good at looking at what's glaringly obvious in our spouse, but not paying attention to what we're doing. And so we say, if she would only, and then you have your laundry list, or if he would only, and he, he you know, there's things there. Don't gripe about, again, what your spouse is not. Instead, continue to grow into the spouse that you're supposed to be. So if there's something you want different in your marriage, you be that difference. Why? Because you set the mood. You set the tone. You set the atmosphere in your marriage. And for too many times, we don't intentionally set the thermostat to a positive setting in our household. Now, I know the thermostat alone could be the cause of a lot of fights at home. But how many know the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer, right? A thermometer just tells you the temperature. And sometimes in our homes, all we are is thermometers. We're just reacting to what's happening. We don't have no way to, we, we don't apply anything to control it or to change it. We're just thermostats. Well, she's always too hot, you know, whatever you want her to say, right? Or he's always too cool. And you don't do anything about it. Why not be thermostats and say, you know what? If I feel something in my relationship I don't like, why don't I step into that gap and be different? I can adjust the tone and the mood in my relationship. I need to be the difference. There's one person who can make a difference in your marriage, and that one person is you. If you don't like what you're getting, look at what you are giving, okay? So men, you don't like what you're getting at home? What are you giving? Flip it around. Ladies, you don't like what you're getting? Then what are you giving? We've lost the wonder and the sense of pursuit. So how do we get that back? Three steps right there, I think, that are very important. Here's just some closing thoughts, and we're done. But listen to this. To get what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. Some of you want a marriage 
You keep idolizing this idea of a marriage. And to get what you've never had, you're going to have to do something different than you're doing right now, right? If you want this kind of marriage, but you're doing this same routine every day, you're never going to get that. And so when you look at that other couple and you wonder, why can't our marriage be like that? And they're looking at you probably thinking the same thing. Why can't our marriage be like that, right? The issue is if, you, if you've got something you want and you've never experienced it, then you've got to do something you've never done in your relationship. And that's going to call for a certain amount of creativity, discipline to work on that. Problem is we don't like to work at it, right? We just want to cruise through married life until one day we're living with a stranger and we're coexisting in our own house and we're wondering Why? Because you've lost that sense of pursuit. So if you don't have what you want, you got to do something different to get that. Also, very simply, uh, this way, to get what you once had, you must do what you once did. Some of you loved what you had when you were younger in, in relationship. You loved that. You loved the wonder and the joy and the spont- spontaneous aspects of your relationship. You loved that. You wonder why it's not there anymore. The question is, are you doing any of those things you did back in that day when you loved what you got out of it? If not, then what are we going to do to do what we once did? If I liked what I once had, let me go back and do what I once did. Now, here's the thing. Most of the time, what we're going to say is this. I don't feel like it. He doesn't deserve it or she doesn't deserve it. And we say we lead with our feelings. And most of the time when intimacy is a dying ember, Your feelings are very, very deceptive. And the problem is a lot of married couples make decisions based on their feelings. And oftentimes your feelings are doing this from each other. And when I'm making decisions based on how I feel isolated from my spouse, these are never going to be good decisions. So you may not feel like going back and doing what you used to do, but here's the deal. Do it anyway. Be disciplined. Why? Because when you do it, Guess what's going to start to happen? You're going to feel it. It's like what I used to tell people about praying. You got somebody you can't stand, pray for them. Because when you begin to pray for them, they don't change necessarily. What changes? You. So you don't feel it? I understand. Maybe you, you can't stand them right now. Maybe you, maybe you don't want to be with her right now. Okay, stop and just say, that's a feeling. And feelings are deceptive. I'm going to start by my willful action to choose to and then begin to see what happens as that begins to grow. Revelation 2.4, again, loosely applied. This was written to a church whose first love for Christ was dying. Okay, But I think it's so easy to look at this and apply it to matters of marriage as well. In fact, Jesus is our, he considers it a marriage relationship between us. We're his bride, right? Look at what it says in in Revelation 2.4. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. Now we get what that means applied spiritually to our own spiritual condition. And we've all been at that place where we know what it was like to forget that first love we had for Jesus that when we got saved. And we want to know, how do I get that back again, right? But now think about the same application to your marriage. Remember the height from which you have fallen. You've forsaken that first love. Men, you don't get what you used to get because you've forsaken that first love. And you've let other pursuits take priority over your wife. It might be your career or your recreation or whatever. Same thing with you ladies. We stopped pursuing. So what do we do? We remember what we used to have. And I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't tell us to try to work up some emotion to restore our love. 
because he knows that the essential strength of true love is not an emotion, it's an act of the will. When God so loved, it wasn't just a oozy doozy kind of love for the world, it was an intense will that he decided to love a broken world so much that he sent his one and only son. And so we remember what we used to have. And then by love, we act upon that. And then we repent. That means to change the actions and attitudes you currently have and go back to what you used to do. Now, some of you need to repent of the way you're living with your spouse right now. Because you know it's just, it's gone sideways. And it's hard to hit the reset button. I get it. You kind of want to just say, can't we just go back to the way things used to be? I mean, how many of you have actually had that conversation with your spouse before? Can't we just go back to the way it used to be? Yes, you can, but your feelings aren't going to take you there. Change will. You want change? You be the change, and you bring that to your relationship. And then finally, restore. Do what you used to do when your love was young. Go back to it. You know, I was, this morning, I was, met a couple that had been married 64 years. And uh, I told them I was preaching about marriage. And they said, oh, we've had some ups and downs, but the secret of our marriage is that we have been, that we've chosen to be kind to each other and to, to, to use proper manners with each other. He still opens the door for me, and I still say thank you, and, and that's got us along pretty well 64 years. You know, sometimes just going back to the things you know you did when you were dating. You were kind to him, to her. You opened maybe even the door for her. Maybe she didn't let you because she's one of those kind of women. You don't open the door for me. I, I don't know. But you found something that worked for you when you were pursuing each other. So you're, you, you go back to doing what you used to do. You can live in a marriage where love and satisfaction are the rule, not the exception. But how do we do it? I promise to always pursue my two, to pursue her. And that means this month, the month of love, let me just remind you guys, Wednesday night, it's kind of a big day, Wednesday. You might want to push it to the weekend and make it a weekend event, right? But come back on Sunday because we have another sermon for you on marriage. Invest some energy in this week. Pursue. Maybe you got her a weird, cheap box of candies in the past. Get her something special. Maybe it's not candy because you're working on, you know, not being lazy and you want to do something healthy. So go have a salad together. I don't know what it's going to be for you, but... You have an opportunity to express this now. Proverbs 14, 23, and I end with this verse, and it's so powerful for this. All hard work brings a profit. You want your marriage to be profited? It's going to take some hard work, but look at what else it says. But mere talk leads only to poverty. Your marriage is impoverished because all you want to do is talk about it but not work on it. So stop talking and start working and give up your own feelings for your spouse and make some willful decisions to change and go back to do what you used to do. I promise to always pursue my two. That needs to be your prayer. Some of you today, you know you're pursuing something besides your two and you need to stop. It's dangerous. You need to stop. Maybe that thing is digital, like I said, or maybe it's physical. Stop it. That person deserves the two. 
And your heart's desire should be to pursue until death do you part. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you were the extreme example of pursuing us. John 3 tells us that you so loved. And then that you gave. There was something you were willing to do for it. It wasn't just talk in heaven, but you carried it out. And Lord, we know as we think about marriages and we're praying for marriages this month, God, we know there's been a lot of talk about marriage, maybe even negatively inside these homes. But God, I pray that if they hear anything else today, it would be it's time to stop talking and start working on it. So I pray for married couples right now in this room. God, some are just here together, but they're not really united. And maybe for some, it almost feels like the cleaver is, 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 is doing its work in a negative way. I pray you'd guard their hearts right now. Let them not make decisions based on their feelings, because feelings are deceptive. But to make decisions based on your word, that you're calling us to sacrifice for our spouse. You're calling us to love as you love the church and gave yourself up. So, Lord, help us know what that means as we think about our spouse. For those that aren't married, Lord, that are wondering why they're sitting here today listening to this, God, I know that some maybe came out of a bad relationship and they saw this play out in their previous relationship and maybe they're hopeful for a relationship again. God, I pray they would just take these things to heart and begin to work on the things they know they need to work on in their own hearts. Or for those of us that are parents or grandparents of married couples, may we glean this wisdom and, and help share that with our kids, with our grandkids, to share the wonder of our own testimony of married life because they need good examples. So help us be that, I pray. And God, we pray overall, strengthen marriages through this. As we talk about this, God, I know the tendency is to fo focus on the negative. That, that's not. There's so much good that can be focused on. Help us to turn our eyes toward those things this week. And in choosing to do that, we will see your healing taking place in relationships. Pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.